Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. This is amazing. This is the second week in a row I've got to speak. So that's uh, just so good. Thank you for that, Petra. That's, uh, that is <laughs> so absolutely wonderful. Calvin, as um, Julianne said, is away. Um, uh, Calvin and Georgia are in Wellington. They, I think they're coming back tonight, but they're speaking this morning at the Story Vineyard Church plant. And uh, one of the plants that we're doing is a, a vineyard in New Zealand. So it's great to be able to sort of release and bless some of the other vineyard churches that are around. And so that may well be part of the reason that you've got me two weeks in a row. But it is my great pleasure to be here. And um, I'm very excited, really, um, to be here with you and to, and to be part of the series that we're doing at the moment. So, so it's the second week of five weeks and something we've never really done before. Um, and we're calling it Heads and Tails, a faith formed in contrast. And what we're going to do is each week for five weeks, we're taking a different subject and sort of looking at both sides of the same coin, looking at the head and looking at the tail. And so you might remember last week we did um, morning and night, and then we did a, um, a podcast um, during the week that we put up also online so that you could get the two speakers sort of sharing ideas and trying to mingle the two things that they had looked at. So today's theme is ancient and modern. And so this morning, my wife Fran took ancient. My ancient wife Fran took ancient. And it's not surprise. You you may well be surprised. She's not here. I'm a real tough guy. When she's not here, a real tough guy. And um, it hasn't escaped my um, my the, the sense of irony that I'm virtually the oldest person in the room, and I'm doing modern tonight. So I hope you'll be as gracious to me. Uh, as you look so far, as we talk about modern, I think it's going to be an important thing. But again, the idea is really that we might have a look at both the head and the tail. Ancient's important. So by doing modern, we're not, we're not dissing ancient. Uh, ancient is important, but modern's important too. And as I say, on Tuesday, Fran and I will have a conversation with DG, who hosts us, and um, about it. And we'll put it up on the website, that in our small groups, or, or just as you drive or whatever you can listen to. So we get, we get engaged with the whole thing. Ho- hopefully that all makes sense. Go and have a look online if you are uh, kind of just thinking about, well, so, so how does it all tie together? But we'd love you to, to tie in with the things that we're doing as, as far as the series is concerned. So when you talk to people today, 21st century, well into the 21st century, aren't we, about the things that have changed, one of the things that we would most perhaps talk about in terms of what it is like to be a modern Christian is technology. Technology, of course, is changing our lives completely, but no less is it changing the way that we shape our faith. And so some of you will have on your phones, which you should get out because you'll have Bibles um, on your phones. So grab your phones and, and get them. I'll trust you that you're not really texting and stuff like that. Who has that top left one on their phone? Does anybody have that one? So who can, who can a few people have? So who can tell me what that is? What is that app? Okay, it's a Bible app. Bible, Bible, in, Bible in one year. Yep. So that's uh, if you want to read the Bible in a year, you don't have to take out this big leather thing. You can listen to it. You can hear a, a, um, a commentary on it. That's what I've used for four years in a row, just to, to um, the Bible reading in one year. Does anyone know what the middle top one is? 
It's probably a little less. It's, it's called Pray As You Go. That's my app to go to at the moment. So um, I listen, I'll talk about, a little bit about it later, but I listen to it on the way to work. It's 10 minutes to 12 minutes long. It takes a scripture. It has a prayer. Um, it has a piece of music. It's a little bit ancient in the way that it does it, so it's sort of a bit old school church. But it's just a wonderful thing to, to uh, I don't know, just, just to be with God. What about the top right one? Uh, I guess we all recognize that. What's that? Hey, well done. That's a podcast app. So uh, you can get the Shore Vineyard podcast on that. There you go. But you can also get, of course, and this is significant in the context of modern, you can get the best speakers, the most qualified, the most, I don't know, outrageous, the most sensitive, the most wonderful, and you can listen to them in the privacy of your own room, your own home, you know, at any time that you want to. That is incredible, you know, in terms of, in terms of the way we run our Christian life. Bottom left, does anyone know this one? Calvin gave me this one, so I don't have it. Does anyone have it on? It's called Dwell. It's an app which um, takes you through the Bible in story story form. I was going to say storybook, but I don't think it's a children's one. It's a story in story form. Middle one, Bible Gateway. Uh, again, this is, this is what I use most often. All of the scriptures that you'll see up on the screen or anything like that, I've cut and pasted from Bible Gateway. It has every different translation, all of that sort of stuff. And the bottom right-hand app, does anybody know that one? Has anyone seen that? I, well, maybe. It's called Soul Care. Again, I haven't done that either. Again, Calvin gave me this. Uh, Soul Time, sorry. And it's, it's a Christian meditation app. So yeah, I guess that's what, you, that's what you're saying. So that's just, a, that's just a small smattering of what we could do if we go to technology. Now, I turned 57 yesterday. I should have said, I have a, I have a joy, or is it a concern, that I turned 57. I'm going to talk about modern. I turned 57. That's, I, I'm not big on birthdays, so I'm not really looking for, looking for any, um, any greater claim for turning 57. I became a Christian when I was 19. Been a Christian there for 38 years. I've been a leader most of that time. I've had the privilege of speaking most of that time. The first ever message I gave, I remember absolutely vividly, it was to a home group. I got asked to speak at a home group. Um, I I, I, the, the message I decided to do was on God's love because how can you go wrong with God's love? 38 years later, I would say, how can you go wrong with God's love, right? So back in those days, and I've lost it. I wish I could show it to you. They, we had things called concordances. Steve will remember those. Concordances, right, Steve? They're this big, this big, this big. Yeah, they are big. And they're in six point, seven point, something like that type. And what they do is they, every time a word is mentioned in the Bible, it shows you every other time that that word is mentioned in the Bible. The word love in the NIV is mentioned 551 times. I can tell you that from the concordance. Actually, I Googled that, but I, back then I knew it. Before I did my first ever message, I, looked at, I read every single verse as a 20-year-old that said the word love in it, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. I read the whole lot. Got to the home group. Fran and I were dating at that time. Uh, it was in a lady's house, and that was all that was in the home group. So I'm sitting there, and I've done literally hours and hours of preparation because in those days, you actually had to do those things. You had to read those things. You had to look at those things. You had to look them up. You had to turn the pages. Three of us there. Fran only because she had to be there because we were dating, and that, that was what you did, probably in those days at least, and the owner of the house or the lady whose house that we had in. And God bless her, she taped my message. And I'm not going to play it to you because I don't have a copy of it. And God bless her even more, she used to say to me, that was such a lovely message, and I've listened to it so often, and uh, it's just changed my life. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. But all of that work for three people who were there and these days, if I did a message on God's love, this was what I'd do. I'd type in, 
10 most important Bible verses on love. And there they would come and I wouldn't have to do any other work, you see. So modern, with the modern we have all of these wonderful things that we're able to do. And I've had a bit of a burden over the last two years. At the end of 2016, we're praying, we're starting to, to think about our 2017 at Shaw Vineyard here. And I had this phrase that, that has concerned me really ever since. And it was a phrase, are we in danger of starving in the midst of plenty? And it's a phrase that's gone on in my life quite a, quite a long time. The, there is a very real possibility in, in the world that we live in, which is in one sense over, overrun with food. That it will, and as we know, even though that it's overrun with food, I mean, we, we, we only need to look at our own supermarkets, but, it, but a whole lot of the world is dying. And one of the concerns that I felt like God was putting in my heart at that time is we are overrun with the possibility of growing in our faith, from the apps on our phone to the, you know, to the knowledge that we have, to the translations of our Bible, to the opportunities we have to travel and experience God and listen to great music and, uh, and worship and, and, and just have the best of things. And are we in the danger sometimes of starving in the midst of plenty? And I want to come back to that at the end because there seems to be something about us that just allows that sometimes to happen. We'll come back to that as we go. First, though, I want to talk about what Jesus says about staying modern. I think, I think this is essentially what he would be saying. And I want to take you to um, Mark chapter 2. That's where your app comes out, because you must have a Bible app uh, uh, somewhere on your phone by now, um, seeing your modern people. And um, we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to have a read of that. I want to just tell you the story before the story we read. So there's this amazing story of Jesus is choosing his disciples. He's going around. He's um, calling people to follow me. That's the, that's the tends to be the phrase that is, is translated to, to, to follow and become his disciples. And we have the 12 disciples who have basically responded to it. One of them is a guy called Levi, or sometimes the Bible will call him Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. They were Jewish, but they were working for the Roman invaders. So they were sort of like um, traitors in a sense. And Jesus sees Matthew at his tax collector's booth. He says, Matthew, I want you to come with me. Follow me, he says. And Matthew leaves his tax collector's booth, follows Jesus. And before you know it, Jesus is sitting in his house having lunch, having a party, having dinner, drawing together with him. Outside the house, while they're feasting, the Pharisees, who are usually the bad guys in these things, they're the religious zealots, or the religious people keep all of the rules, people are looking in. And they have this accusation against Jesus. They say, how dare you sit with, and what he say is sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors, a special type of sinner, it seems. And so that's the thing that precedes it. And then we come to verse 18 of Matthew. The Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have, uh, have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a, a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. New wine into new wineskins is a phrase that we're going to work on as we go. New wine and new wineskins probably doesn't apply. That's an ancient 
isn't it? Um, for wine to be um, in wineskins, only cheap wine, sort of uh, the cask wine, we sometimes get in a little thing, a little bladder, a little like a, a, um, a wineskin perhaps in a modern day sense. I was thinking as I thought about this um, about 10 years ago or something like that, there were the, the world over, there was this debate because all of a sudden manufacturers were, manufacturers were making wine and they were putting screw cap tops on them instead of the traditional cork. And the wine aficionados, the wine snobs, I suppose, in a sense, say, oh, you can't have wine with um, you know, uh, screw cap bottles because you need to allow the wine to breathe. That was the, the reason that cork was so good. And yet 10 years down the track, actually, the people who were um, producing wine like that had actually discovered that there was a way that you could do it. You still have the quality of wine without doing that. And so now, if you go, and it's unusual now if we open a bottle of wine to have to you know, kind of look around for a corkscrew. And so things have changed. Wine is now being made in a different way, and we've all had to adapt. We've all had to grow. We've all had to understand it. Well, Jesus is saying something like this. Along the way... Things are going to change and you are going to need to change with them or else you are going to lose out on the things that God is doing. That's what we need to understand when we're modern in our approach. The ancient is very important and Fran talked about that today and do listen to that. But the modern and understanding of what God is doing today is really important. So so fasting is nothing wrong with fasting. Um, It's a great thing to do in its right way, in its right place. But there was a self-righteousness and a piety and a judgment that went with the fasting that was going on there and that was inappropriate. And, And celebration was called for, but they were stuck in fasting. The bridegroom was with them. The bridegroom is Jesus. I don't know if you picked up, you know, when we read, he talked about the bridegroom. And so he uses these really understandable examples. You know, if you've got some clothes, we just usually throw our clothes away, don't we? But if we've got clothes and you need to kind of replace a bit, you don't put a new piece on an old garment because the, the new piece hasn't shrunk properly yet. And when it does shrink, when it gets wet, then it's going to pull away from the garment. You don't, he says, similarly, put new wine into old wineskins because what happens is the old wineskins have got hard and crusty and, and dried out and all of that sort of thing. And as the wine ferments and grows and, and develops its um, flavors and, and, and taste, um, it's going to leak out. It's going to, it's, so you put new wine into new wineskins. And so I was sort of kicking around some ideas um, well, as I was thinking about that this week, and I'm sitting in our library in there, and of course these days you Google, you know, good quotes on new wine, new wineskin sort of thing, and up it comes. So, you know, there's nothing, nothing magical sometimes about, you know, kind of that great quote that we share from time to time. Yeah, you just Google it, you can find those things. So I did something really unmodern, and I went to a book that we've got on our shelves, and it's a book, a, a commentary for, of, of, um, of the Gospel of Mark from uh, the mid-20th century, so long ago. And in it, a guy called Ivor Powell says this. He says, The new life, fellowship, and joy which Jesus was introducing could hardly be contained in the unexpanding, unyielding, unchanging traditions of the Pharisees. And I want you to take notice of that unexpanding, unyielding, and unchanging and be warned or, or be wary when you see systems and structures and even people and what comes out of people's mouths and the things of God that are unexpanding, unyielding and unchanging because you know at that point that they are old wineskins and that sometimes they're not going to hold and, and house the new product 
in the way that we want to. I thought that was an incredibly significant and wise quote. A century before that, mid-19th um, century, um, Frederick Godet, who, um, who, was a, um, who was also a theologian, he says, the new wine represents that living and healthy spirituality which flows so abundantly through the teaching of Jesus. So this is interesting. So the new wine is the stuff that Jesus is doing or the Holy Spirit's doing, the new things that he's doing. And the bottles... So a little bit of difficult language. Those who are to become the depositories of this principle and to preserve it for humanity. The new wine is the new stuff God's doing. The bottles are us. The bottles are the work, the things that contain the things that God is doing. So that's really important. So just shelve that for a minute as we head into new wine and new wineskins, and what I think it might mean for us as modern people today. So four points, and then we'll come to a conclusion as we come across communion. So this is what I think, anyway. New wine and new wineskins can be generational. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You may or may not end up by agreeing with me or seeing what I think, but I think every generation is called upon to discover God's plan for their generation. So I'm not of the generation of many people who are in this building tonight. So if I look back over my 38 years of being a Christian, which is longer than most people who have been alive, and I think of the things that my generation would be known for in the church, and not in the whole church, but just in the type of churches I've been, I I think of things like evangelism and mission. Those have been very important in in our world. And I think they still are really important. The question is, is it the same message for every generation? And it's really for the generations to work out. I think we've been big in the vineyard in, the la- in, in these generations on, on healing and the kingdom um, and the now and not yet, all of those sorts of things. Those are things that we've been very aware of uh, in terms of what we're doing. I think we've been big in the moving of the Holy Spirit, of hearing God. Those are things that we pass on to next generations, and hopefully they're of value, and hopefully they continue to do it. I mean, I'm going to Cambodia next Sunday night for the purpose of church planning and evangelism and mission, and I still believe those things. And Wade and Rihanna from our morning congregation who are in their early 20s are coming with me, so it can be done together. So nothing I'm about to say is to say that those things were wrong. The thing is, though, if you're in your 20s, and a lot of you guys are, if you're in your 20s, you've got to ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to my generation? Because that is the new wine. And you may run up against people like me who are old bottles at that point who don't understand the things that God's saying. And so it's important for us to be able to hear together, to work together, and to grow together. And so I hear, I don't hear the cry in the heart of 20-somethings that I did when I was a 20-something of evangelizing the world, but I hear cries in the heart for things like justice. I, I hear that come naturally out of people who are in their 20s, and I wonder if that's a generation thing, or, or climate change, a certain you know, kind of a, a concern for the environment that we are, and you, you just wonder whether is that a God stirring or is that a scientific stirring? And then we become responsible for those things. So I think new wine, new wineskins can be generational. So you shouldn't, in that sense, look to the previous generation for all of your example of those things. You should be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to hear God for myself and do those things. So 
I don't know. I think, that's, I think it's an important thing to say. The second th- thought is this, that new wine and new wineskins must be personal. So you can agree or disagree with me on the generational thing. I think new wine, new wineskins must become personal. We are going to have to reinvent ourselves many times over our Christian lives. Uh, even if you think about where you are now and if you were a church kid, where you were when you were in Sunday school, for example, and the level of faith that you had there, probably high level of faith that you have here. But as soon as you face different things in life, you have to reinvent yourself because you're working at God of a different paradigm at that stage. Yours is the different paradigm. God's is not the different paradigm. And so we have to work with those things, and we're going to have to do this constantly through our life. And one of the great things that, that I, um, I don't know, am burdened for is the way that people fall out of faith and maybe fall out of you know, kind of the practices of life and faith. And it's almost, all, you know, kind of we sometimes, have, we preachers, it's, it's like because they, because they give in to sin. And I, I actually wonder if it's because they give in to sin or if I just wonder whether it's new wine is around the corner, new wine is on offer. And they're trying, even at a tender age, a young age, so now I'm not just talking about people of my age, but people of any of our age, because God is doing something different and it doesn't feel the same and we get stuck in these crusty ways and it's like, that's not the God that I want or thought or whatever. And it's an invitation of God for us to grow and to develop in new ways. And I think this personal thing, we must be aware of it and know that. And so I've been thinking quite a lot about new altars. So an altar, we don't really do altars. This is the closest thing we have to an altar in our church, especially today, which is a communion table. An altar is where you sacrifice something. Traditionally, that's what it was. A lot of traditional churches have altars um, in their, you know, kind of close to the front of their church. And I've been thinking a bit about altars. And you know, in the Old Testament, if you read it, they talk about a tabernacle. So uh, um, a tabernacle is a tent, essentially, the tent of the presence of God, where, where God would come. Uh, in Jerusalem, in Jesus' time, they had the temple. Jesus would go to the temple. We have the church, if you like. And I think the church is a magnificent thing and it's a wonderful thing. But I do wonder whether we need to be pursuing new wine that's not just an expectation that 6 o'clock on Sunday night that that's going to be the wine that's going to be fed to us or whatever. We need to be searching for opportunities for new altars, I'm going to say. It's probably not quite the right way to say it. But for new opportunities for God to speak to us, I think that's an incredibly important thing for us to do. So for me... My new altar, or my new thin place, which is a Celtic saying, my new go-to place is sitting in my car and driving to work and listening to Pray As You Go. And, and I don't think it's my natural fit, Pray As You Go, but, but it's just the right amount of time. It's just the right amount of time to hear sort of a thought, and I'm, I'm often impressed with and I thought, I never thought about that before. And I've gone from being, you know, kind of you drive to work in a bit of a fag, and I, I listen to radio sport, and, and to, to looking forward to going to work to get pray as you go on so I can listen, so I can be, I don't know, encouraged for the day. And some days it's better than others, you know, for me personally or whatever. That's like a personal altar that I, 38 years later, that, that is doing it for me. More than standing in worship right at the moment, to be perfectly honest. More than listening to Vic Francis speak to me or any of our other speakers. You know, at the moment, that is my sustenance, and that is a that is a good thing. Do I stop doing those other things? Of course, I don't. But I'm I'm finding those new things, and so it must be personal. And people fall by the wayside because they don't introduce new wine, new 
things into their lives. It's so important that we do that. Third thing, I think um, new wine is best. Oh, sorry. So, so um, the gym could be the place that you go to and, and it could become an altar. The beach walk could become an altar because we, we open ourselves to the presence of God and we connect with God in that time. And you work it out for yourself because you will be different than me. You will have different you know, places that God would want to meet you. But it's like, then they would be as important as church. Not instead of church, but as important as church. Okay, another thought is new wineskins, new wine and new wineskins spring best, I think, from old wine and old wineskins. So um, the writer of Ecclesiastes said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been done, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Or rather hopelessly, I think he says, you know, kind of, oh my, there's nothing new under the sun. So we talk about new wine. And now I just want to say for a minute, there is nothing new in one sense. A few years ago, Fran and I had the opportunity to go to this place, which is called Teze. So Teze, is a, it's a town in France, and it's become a type of worship, you know, mainly chanted, you know, for goodness sake, um, multicultural, multilingual, and it's just, and busload after busload, hundreds and thousands of young people come to Teze ever since the Second World War to, to, to experience God in a completely different way. It is incredible, and you can fit literally thousands of people in their auditorium, and still they come in their droves. In Teze, you are old if you're over 30. So all of the under 30s, they eat together, and it doesn't matter even if you're connected with them, the old people go over that side. Um, the younger people have sort of like home groups and stuff, and they talk about the important things of the world and of God. And so that's an old thing that has sprung and is giving new life, as I think the communion table is giving new life to younger people today. You know, so it's like, you know, give me something interesting or something. But, but, but the communion table is becoming something again, I think, that is incredibly powerful, always has been, of course. So Teze is an interesting thing along the way. John Wimber, the founder of our vineyard movement, who was about, he was close to death in 1997, and he said to Lloyd Rankin, who's our national director, he said, um, he said, take the best and run. He said, you know, take the best of what we've done and pick up that old wine, if you like, that old, the things that we've done, take the best of it and then make in the future what it is. Don't sort of set up a museum around the things that we've done in the past, but discover the new things. I think it's a magnificent possibility. And then finally, we come back to starving in the midst of plenty. Um, and then we'll have communion and then we'll be finished. But I think new wine and new wineskins, we must understand that they still require investment. You could have every one of those apps on your phone. You could even come to church every week. You know, you could listen to the best teaching in the entire world of the ancients, uh, of, uh, of, of current, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the coolest and the best and the brightest churches that are around. You can do all of those things. But unless you, unless you participate, unless you respond to the things that are being said, you will find that you are left cold and unchanged and unmoved in that process. How do you starve in the midst of plenty? Simple, really, by not eating. And we understand eating disorders, don't we? You know, kind of they're a, they're a terrible thing that, that, that besets and has beset you know, people, friends of ours, I'm sure, people that we've known, I'm sure. And how could you ever starve in New Zealand, physically in New Zealand, when we're a land of plenty? And the reason is because we don't eat. And I'm, I'm not saying this at all as a, as a solution for, for, for anorexia and things like that, because clearly there are other issues around that. 
But how come Christians are starving in New Zealand when it is the best, the most prolific, the most wonderful um, and opportune time than we ever have this modern day? And it's because, or we run the risk thereof, if we don't invest. You know, if you walk out of here and, you know, kind of that was kind of interesting or not, you know, well, the invitation to listen to Fran of the Ancients this morning and listen to the podcast, you know, the reality is most of us won't do that. But you're more likely to be nourished if you do. Because we're brilliant? Probably not. We're not probably not that brilliant. But because we love you and because we've worked towards it and because we have the sense of what God's doing. But that's not the thing to get you to go there on Tuesday. It's the thing to get you to embrace the fact that new wine is happening, that God is wanting to do something in our midst. And as we pursue those things, how incredibly wonderful it is to be connected with all of these things that bring the modern world to life. I love the world we live in. People say, would you like to live in any other time? Heck no. I want to live in a time of antibiotics and, and, and a time of you know, sort of medical miracles and all of that sort of thing. Give me 2018 any time to live my life. Would you want to live with some other time? You know, do you want to live under persecution? Heck no. Do you want to live, you know, kind of a time when nobody even had a Bible? Heck no. Do you want to live a time, you know, kind of where the where the minister said, you do this and do this now? Heck no. But in with all those freedoms we have, it still requires investment, whatever that looks like, to live a thriving, wonderful, and a life-changing Christian life. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. 